welcome to Bangor Community Church Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed today as you hear the Word of God. Now I would like to welcome Carol. Let's welcome her. I love it when this, this lady shares. She's so full of facts and like data. I'm so interested. I love it. But you'll be blessed. So um, just enjoy. Praise God. Amen. So we'll just stand. Let's make the confession that our lovely pastor always made. Would you like to stand with your Bibles if you have them on your phone or in your hand? Praise God. Amen. Say after me, this is my Bible. I believe what it says. I believe I am who it says I am. I believe I can do what it says I can do. I believe I have what it says I have. And now, as I am about to receive the incorruptible, ever-living, never-dying seed of the Word of God. My mind is alert, my heart is open, and as a result, I shall never, I shall never, I shall never, as Pastor used to say, ever be the same again. Amen. Amen. Well, it is, um, it's my joy to share with you this morning and um, I'm going to pull this back even further if I could actually get back there I would I, um, Pastor Karen asked me to um, speak a couple of weeks ago when she asked me I just said the flesh automatically says no I'm not and then I said just give me um, let me get back because there was nothing that I had really um, on my heart to share and um, so that was that was maybe the Tuesday and then um, at the prayer meeting at 7.45, the Lord gave me today's message. So Tanya prayed for me that I would have confidence. And you know where confidence comes um, from the Lord, you know, when we're speaking. My, my confidence is in is my notes. Is what, what, you know, there's the Holy Spirit, I believe, has downloaded um, to me. And uh, I hope that you receive something. I know there's something here for everyone because that's just the way God works. No one ever leaves um, God's house without something they're carrying in their heart. It could be something from the worship. You might take home something from the offering, but I'm hoping you'll take home something from what I'm about to share. So if I keep looking down, um, just be patient with me because I, I, I'm not like Robin. I don't do it from memory. I like to stick to notes. And because I use facts, I always want to be right. So, um, yes, yeah, so the last time I was talking here, I talked on, um, not forsaken the gathering of the saints. Um, and it was at that time when the churches were only starting to come back into fellowship after a year of lockdown. And, and you know, there was still an air of caution with people and fear as well. And God really impressed in me in that time of how important it was to have just the physical contact, the physical fellowship. Uh, Zoom prayer meetings and uh, online church services are good and they serve a purpose, but God always planned for us to be together, to encourage each other in the physical. Um, so this, um, this time, I want to talk about another gathering. And you won't believe it, it's the prayer meeting. <laughs> this is what the Lord put in my heart. Um, Charles Spurgeon, 
He called the prayer meeting the engine room of the church. He said, if the engine room is out of action, the whole mill will grind to a halt, and we cannot accept, expect blessing if we do not ask. So uh, that's, what my, that's what my message is today. It is about the prayer meeting. And I want to give you, um, I'm going to give you three, three examples. Uh, one is a missed opportunity. One is a second chance, and the other is a wall coming down. Um, so, but I also want to tell you, as um, Tanya said um, in the announcements, you know, no two prayer meetings are ever the same, and every time you gather in God's presence, um, the world's changed. I believe that. I know every time I come here, our prayer meeting is a Tuesday night, as Tanya announced, and, I, and they're never the same, but I know I pray when I'm standing here, even though I'm here in Bangor, in Northern Ireland, that my prayers are going further than I could even imagine. And uh, now, you know, there's personal prayer, and that's fine, but today I want to talk about just when the church gather together to pray and the power there. So, Ryan, would you put up, um, I want to I show you the world's first prayer meeting. It's um, Genesis 4, 26. Um, it's in the Amplified Version. It says, And Seth also a son, um, and to Seth also a son was born, who he named Enosh. And at that time, men began to call upon by the name of the Lord. That's not the Amplified, is it? Can you go, um, can you go 26 or 27? Is there 25? I must have read a different version. But the version that I read, it said men began to gather together to pray and to worship the Lord. And that's the first mention of a prayer meeting in the Bible. So Adam, you know, and Abel, they all, they had personal walk with God. But this was the first time that families gathered together as a prayer meeting. And that was in um, Genesis 4. And the two families couldn't have been more different. You had the family that uh, came from the two families that made humanity. So there was the family that came from Cain and then the family that came from Seth. And they were so different. Cain's family were very, um, they were extremely talented. The Bible says that they raised livestock. They made music. Um, there was uh, Tubal Cain and Jubal Cain. And uh, they invented metal tools. You know, they were very, very talented. But you know what? They were godless. And you can have everything in the world, every material thing in the world. And you can have all the money in the world. But if you don't have Christ, you have nothing. Because all you're doing is storing up your treasures on earth. But Seth, on the other hand, the Bible doesn't even say that Seth's family had any talent. But they called in the name of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? That's more important than anything. They might have had other talents, but it's not listed. But the fact is, um, what achievements that is not listed in the Bible, they did great exploits for God. Praise God. So I want to tell you my first story. And this is a missed opportunity in a prayer meeting. And um, there's times that I've, I've... I've beaked off a prayer meeting. <laughs> and then whenever I've heard, you know, what happened, I thought, oh, I've missed that. That's just, and I've been annoyed with myself because, you know, for silly reasons, I would have a silly reason for not being there. And then you hear what's went on at a prayer meeting, you think, oh, no, I missed that. Who, who doesn't like to miss anything? I don't like to miss nothing. If there's something going on, I like to be in the center of it, especially if there's a seal, everyone. If there's a seal, I like to be there. Anyway, so in the Gospels, we read the account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we'll set the scene. So the, Jesus um, goes to the garden. He's just had the Last Supper um, with his disciples. He's instituted um, communion. 
Uh, he, Judas is away to betray him, and he takes his 11 disciples to the garden. But he takes three aside. He takes, um, he takes uh, Peter, um, James, and John away. So I'm going to read um, from the, the message translation, and I need a drink, because I'm all thirsty. Excuse me. So you can follow up above. The reason I'm using the message version is, um, is because it, it's just easier to understand. But I encourage you to read it in the Amplified, read it in the King James. Um, I'm not trying to change scripture, but I just want to, I just wanted to bring it down to a level where everyone could understand. So this is our missed opportunity. It reads, then Jesus went with them to a garden called Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, stay here a while while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he plunged into an agonizing sorrow. Then he said, this sorrow is crushing my life out. Another version says, my soul, Jesus was saying, my soul is deeply grieved. And we know the soul is the seat of the emotions. Jesus was, Jesus is in humanity. He was in agony. He was really struggling. And uh, he brought these three close friends with him um, because he wanted them to pray with him. He wanted he wanted them to be a support to him. So reading on, Jesus said, stay here and keep vigil with me. Go on ahead, go on a little ahead. He fell on his face praying, my father, if there is any way, get me out of this. But please, not what I want. You, what do you want? When he came back to his disciples, he found them sound asleep. He said, Peter, can't you stick it out with me a single hour? Stay alert, watch. Be in prayer so you don't wander into temptation without even knowing you're in danger. Now that word watch comes from the Greek word gagario, and it means to specifically pay special attention so that you can avoid or prevent a catastrophic tragedy. Now we'll not know till we get to heaven how many prayers that we've prayed that have averted disaster or tragedy. I've been in prayer meetings, and in fact one like a good few years ago and someone had committed suicide and they were on the verge of dying and I know it was only the prayers um, of the, the saints that brought that person through. So you might never know the, the power of, of your prayers, pray together, but uh, we're told to watch and, and pray attention. Anyway, so Jesus goes on. I like this line in the message. There is a part of you that is eager and ready for anything in God. But there is another part that is as lazy as an old dog sleeping by a fire. Well, I have to hold my hands up to that. I've been that lazy old dog sleeping by a fire in times past, but not anymore. So he left them for a second time, and again he prayed, My father, if there is no other way than this, drinking this cup to the dregs, I'm ready. Do it your way. When he came back again, he found them sound asleep. They simply couldn't keep his eye, their eyes open. This time he let, let them sleep on and went back a third time to pray, going over the same ground one last time. And when he next came back, he said, are you going to sleep on and make a night of it? My time is up. The Son of Man is about to be handed over to the hands of sinners. So get up and let's get going because my betrayer is at hand. So you can, you can imagine how Jesus felt. There's, there's the three that he trusted the most. He took them up to the mount, you know, when he was transfigured. And they were the closest to him. They were like his inner circle. And when he needed them most, um, they were sleeping. And uh, he, he, was just, he was just heartbroken. Um, so one, one version, um, well, Larry Lee writes a book, Can You Not Tarry One Hour, about praying for an hour. But, and I thought, should I write, Could You Not Tarry One Hour? But 
watch, that's the question Jesus said to them, can you not watch one hour? You see, they fell asleep. And I'm sure I've shared it before, and probably many of you know, Gethsemane means olive press. And you know how olives are made. There's a lot of uh, pressure applied, and they're squeezed, and and just pushed and grinded. If you see those big um, stones, you know, on on the internet, you can look at the olive press. And it's literally squeezed to nothing, there's nothing left. And that's how you get your olive oil, and there's just the skin really left. And you know, whenever Jesus was in his agony in the garden, it said he sweated drops of blood. That's how intense um, the pressure was for him. And you know, Jesus... Jesus is asking us as, as 20, 21st century disciples, can you not watch and pray for one hour at a prayer meeting? Now, I'm talking to myself here. Life can be busy um, with a one-hour prayer meeting, and it can be easily pushed aside. You know, the disciples were there. They were there in their body, but they might as well not have been there because they were asleep. Um, you know, they missed the greatest hour in history. I believe that. Luke 22 actually says that the disciples were just a stone's throw away. So if they'd have been awake, they would have, they would have seen all this unfold before their eyes. So if they'd have only been able to stay awake for one hour, they would have witnessed the whole drama, which was the greatest victory over temptation. And that's what Jesus won. He won that victory. That's, that's where the first victory um, for us was won, in the garden. Jesus overcame his humanity and then went willingly to the cross. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples couldn't even last an hour in prayer. But something again after Pentecost, and they became unstoppable, and they didn't ever miss the opportunity to pray again. Uh, and they never fell asleep again. And at Pentecost, the church was born, and the world was, would never be the same. Isn't that right? Amen? When Pentecost came. So the second chance that they got, in Acts 2, in my Bible, the headline is the Upper Room Prayer Meeting. And before the Lord's death, the disciples had no interest in praying. Um, we read about them um, contending with each other. They're always fighting about who was the greatest and who would, who would sit at Jesus' right hand. And, and they were always all about self-elevation and, uh, you know, and self-promotion. There was a lot of ambition with the disciples. But after, um, after Pentecost, they didn't contend with each other anymore. They didn't, they didn't try and outdo each other. In fact, it says they were of one accord after Pentecost happened. So, and we all know the story. There was 120 people. They were gathered together, um, waiting, um, together praying, waiting um, on the promise of the Holy Spirit. But it was no ordinary prayer meeting because this prayer meeting went on for nine days. And on the 10th day, the Holy Spirit fell. And how do we know it was nine days? Well, well, it was 10 days altogether. So if in the calendar from Passover to Pentecost is 50 days. And Jesus was with them 40 days. Then they went to the upper room. And uh, they went for 10 days. And we struggled to get for one hour. 1 Corinthians 15.5. It tells us that 500 people saw Jesus at one time. 500 people actually seen Jesus. Now, they would have known, obviously, because at that time... Um, all the Jews, you know, they, they have to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem at least once in their lifetime. Um, and so all the Jews were there for, for Passover. So they knew about Jesus and the, um, the crucifixion. They knew about the resurrection. And 500 seen him. And yet I wondered, why does only 120 end up in the upper room? You know, what was that about? If someone can tell me, please do. 380 people walked away and only 120 stayed in the room. Um, um, Dr. Cecil Stewart, he was here last week, and he said, um, when a people pray, things begin to happen. And he, he prophesied over Bangor Community Church, and he told us to prepare 
um, for elevation. Um, and you know, and all preparation begins at the church prayer meeting. As Charles Spurgeon said, it's the engine room of the church. And particularly when we're praying for souls. And like Tanya said, um, we prayed for souls last week. And, and this, is our, this, is, this is our white basket. And if you haven't put um, names of your loved ones or those you're reaching out to who yet to know Christ in this, put this in because this, this um, is with us every prayer meeting. And uh, we, just, we were very much led that this week, uh, past, Tuesday past, to pray for souls. And every single one of these names represents a life that has been redeemed by the cross, that is going to hell, let's be truthful, if they, they, they are not saved. So, you know, that, that we take that very seriously, and that's what our prayer meeting really focused in, all these people, because I've, I know I've said it before, I'm here because my mommy prayed for me. You're here because someone prayed for you. How can we not do the same for others? I mean, I said it, I think, at the prayer meeting too. I know of one person in particular that I'm the only person in the world praying for that. Pretty imagine that. I am the only person that I know praying for that person. So I, I, have, a, I, have, a, I have a lot um, to be doing for this one person. Anyway, where did we get to? Yes. Yeah. I want to I wanna talk about a prayer meeting that happened a couple of weeks ago. As I said, no two prayer meetings are the same. And um, about two weeks ago, we just the direction just went um, praying for the nations, do you remember? It went for praying for the nations and I just I had a real spirit of intercession just came over me for China. Now I, I, I love Chinese dramas by the way, but I didn't I didn't really I didn't know a lot about China, but I could not stop weeping. I could hardly get the prayer out because I felt such compassion in my heart. I, I can't explain I just knew it was just the, the Holy Spirit. I was just weeping for, for the, the, the Church of China. And I didn't know really much about them, but I went home and I did some research. And you know what, China, you, you probably know this, but I didn't. China is the most populated nation on planet Earth. There's over one billion people live in China. And it's officially an atheist country. Um, President um, Xi Jinping and the Communist Party, do you know what they fear? It's, a, it's actually been recorded. They don't, what do they fear more than anything in the whole world? They don't fear capitalism. They don't fear democracy. They fear the Christian church. They actually fear the Christian church. Um, and they class the church, Christian church as the number one enemy. Um, they are, they have state um, sponsored churches. Um, but they're monitored by CCTV. And you know, children under 18 are not allowed to go to church. Imagine that, generations of children not even hearing the name of Jesus uttered or mentioned. They're not allowed, it's against the law. Um, I, I've looked for some, some facts uh, about numbers of Christians, but I'm gonna do it at this open doors report. There's like 97.7 million Chinese Protestant Christians. Isn't that amazing? All underground. Um, they have, uh, I think, and, and this is what touched me too, even at the prayer meeting, they have nothing. Um, they, they have no Christian liberty. Uh, they have no freedom to worship God. They have no freedom to read the Bible in public. And uh, to attend a prayer meeting could mean imprisonment or death or being sent um, to camps to be re-educated, being taken away from their family, lose their job, to be ostracized. Um, I just cried on the Tuesday. I felt so ashamed. Because in the West, we take freedom so much for granted. Our brothers and sisters in China and other places around the world would give anything to go to a one-hour prayer meeting. 
and yet here it's not often on the list of priorities. It's a take it or leave it approach sometimes, and yet there's something so awesome when God's people, you know, go to pray. And for your information, if you want to look at a hungry doors, have a have a watch list of the top 50 um, countries where Christians are most persecuted. And I could have even went off on a rabbit trail. Korea, um, South Korea is is the number one. South Korea, North Korea. Sorry, North Korea. Um, you just die. You just get killed in North Korea if you're a Christian. Um, so James 5:16. It says the heartfelt prayer, heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man, a believer, can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It's dynamic and it can have tremendous power. As Jesus said before, watch and pray. And and I'm so aware of this, and I'm sure you all are. It's never been more important in the days that we're living in, especially with lockdown. Um, The whole world was shut down. The whole whole world was shut down. And, you know, it's so important now to make the prayer meeting, make corporate prayer a priority in your life. Remember, you know, your spirit's always willing. Your flesh isn't. It's like, you know, as the message said, you're ready and eager or you're an old dog lying by a fire. Um, and of course, I mean, I'm not here to, um, to um, judge anyone or to put, make you feel condemned. But I just, I just want to tell you that, you know, if you've no reason to come to the prayer meeting, other than you've, you've no reason, there's no reason why you wouldn't be here. I've, I've shared this quote before, Kerry Blake, and it really, really hits me all the time. And it, he says, when you want to do something, you make a way. And when you don't, you make an excuse. I've done that, and we've all been guilty of that. Many times you do not want to do something or go somewhere, and you find a wee excuse to not do it. Well, well, that's what it's like with a prayer meeting. We can all find excuses not to come to a prayer meeting. And of course, there's genuine reasons. But I'm saying, where you don't have a reason, why aren't you here? Um, Yes, so now more than ever, churches must gather together and pray. Darkness is continuing to cover our land and the government, our governments, you just need to, you don't even, I don't even, I've stopped actually listening to the news. I just know it. It's a mess. There's, there's no unity. Um, hospital waiting lists are through the roof and people are dying needlessly um, because the finances are being misappropriated and, and not put in the right place. Um, you know, our children are under attack like never before beginning even right from conception. Abortion now is illegal here. Um, It's a free service. Children are being sexualized and under pressure to conform to a stereotype. And and who and what influences our children? Their identity is being challenged. They're being brainwashed. This is is truth. Marriage, the God-ordained union between one man and one woman has been challenged. And political correctness has brought some Christians and sadly some churches to their knees. And yet the prayer meeting the place of power, the place where things can change is the least attended meeting of a ch- any church week. I'm not just talking about here. It's any church. Um, and we know, uh, I remember Chris Sharon on the, um, the wee Hebrides revival with the two wee ladies praying. We know that, um, that revival and moves of God all begin, all begin in a prayer meeting. That's where, that's where it happens. And with the Hebrides, it was, it was two ladies. Um, those two wee ladies uh, began to pray. You know, uh, anyway. So, 
I want to share with you, this is my, this is my third um, story. This is a prayer that brings down walls. And uh, it's not Jericho, by the way. I wonder, can anyone guess? A prayer that brought, you know, because you've, you've seen the video. Anyway, I want to tell you how a prayer meeting brought down the Berlin Wall. Amen. So in the early hours of August 13, 1961, the GDR, the German Democratic Republic, began putting up fences and barriers um, to prevent people leaving East Berlin. And then it was quickly replaced by um, a 12-foot wall, 27 miles long. Um, it, it was literally overnight. It just literally went up overnight. Um, families were split into um, workplaces, uh, for friendships, everything. Oh, just this wall just went down. And uh, it stayed there for 28 years. Um, but Winston Churchill in 1946, he, he, actually, he actually prophesied this. He, he spoke um, because, uh, you know, Russia, Russia lost most casualties in the Second World War. Um, they lost millions and millions. And, um, but, so they were given a bit of grace. They were allowed to enter Berlin first. They were the first allies to enter Berlin and they were allowed to go there first. But Russia then, because they're a communist country, so they don't believe in God, they started to carve up um, and reshape Eastern Europe. And in 1946, Winston Churchill spoke about an iron curtain coming down over Europe, and the wall was symbolic of that. Uh, so, and also, so I'm going to give you a bit of an overview, because I was fortunate to live in Berlin um, from 1985 to 1987. So when I lived there, the wall was still there. and. Uh, and it was great because I love history, so it's the most amazing place to live. So after uh, World War II, uh, the Russians, um, they, as I say, they were allowed into Berlin first. So they, they sort of took uh, East Berlin and they, they claimed it as their own. And the rest of the, the city of Berlin was um, split up into three sectors. So you had the uh, British sector, the French sector and the American sector. And separating the uh, East Berlin from West Berlin was Checkpoint Charlie. And whenever we would go to, uh, we would we could go in shopping and stuff to East Berlin. So you had to go to Checkpoint Charlie with your ID and and you know. And if you went in a car, it was really strange, really strange times. And they would check your car and they would check that you didn't, especially coming back out of um, East Berlin, they would check that you didn't have any any strugglers, stragglers hid under your car and stuff like that. And uh, it was the strangest place for a start. Uh, the West was very affluent. West Berlin was very affluent. Um, beautiful, stunning city. Even then, 30-odd years ago, it was just beautiful. And very wealthy, very rich. Um, and the, the, the East was... We had a, a money... Um, got your money exchanged. So one um, German Deutschmark got you four um, uh, East German marks. And their money was like Monopoly money. I always remember it. It was like plastic. The, they had... their, their Coins were plastic. It was literally like money. You know that. You know the children. You know your kids. They get you till when you, you know when they're wee. They have to till with the money. Well, that's what the, that's what the East German money was like. And so you went there, and it, the only way I can there was such an oppression. The only way I can describe it, and I wasn't saved then. Um, it was like you know when Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz, she's in Kansas, and it's all. That's what that's what it was like. That's what that's what um. East Berlin was like, for me, it was like I was coming from Oz when I was going, you know, over shopping and stuff like that. It was so oppressive. It was so, there was no colour. I promise you, it was the weirdest thing. They, this, the, they wrapped everything in string and paper. They were so backward. Uh, their uniforms were, you know, in the shops, the sales assistants were very drab, mustard colours. No one smiled. 
And uh, there's, a, there's a famous tower, um, the Fustian term, I think it's called, but it's the German damn television tower. It's a, it's a big landmark, still there in Germany. And you can go up and there's a revolving restaurant and it, it revolves and you can see the whole all around um, Berlin. And I remember, um, I remember it strangely because it's the only place in my life where you got tinned mushrooms. I've never seen a tinned mushroom before, but they didn't have fresh produce. So when they were giving you a steak with onions and stuff, you got tinned mushrooms. It was very weird. Um, so that's what it was like. Um, that's, what, that's what Berlin was like when I lived in it. Um, so how did the Berlin Wall fall down? So I'm going to read from my notes because I want to give you a timeline. So it began in the East German city of Leipzig. Uh, in 1982, there was a pastor called Christian Fuhrer, and he was the pastor of St. Nicholas Church. And he started organizing on a Monday um, a prayer meeting, you know, a prayer meeting for, for peace. Um, it was against the, you know, the oppressive regime of, um, of the East, because it was very hard to live there. Um, and, you know, it was, it was just not a nice place to live. And, and if you're living under communism, it isn't, because you have no freedom and you have no liberty. So, it, you know, it was a bold initiative for him because the government strongly discouraged group meetings, especially anything to do with religious activities. So initially, listen to this, there was only like a dozen people attend those prayer meetings, um, but the meetings continued without fail every Monday. They just went on. So that was 1982. In 1985, um, do you want to put that wee picture up, Brian, the first one? Pastor Furrer put a often for Allah, so it's open, open for all. He stuck this in the front of his church. And it's still there to this day. And uh, so the church was the only open space in each Germany where people could um, begin to meet and, you know, and things could be discussed in public. So in 1989, he invited um, 50 people who were part of a movement. Um, they, there was a movement set up and there, were, there, were, there was things going on, undercurrents, because people were starting to twig on. This is not the way we want to live our lives. We want to be free. We want to have liberty and we want to have democracy. So there was things going on. So he got in touch with with groups that were um, they were working underground, really, um, that were trying to, to see a turn in the nation. So he invited them um, to come to his church, and uh, he invited 50 of them, and 600 turned up, and many began to attend his regular prayer meetings. Do I remember? It only started with 12. So the prayers and the open-air vigils that followed, open to everyone, attracted more and more people. There was Christians and atheists all started to seek refuge there, and attendance rocketed and the regime began to lose patience. On May the 8th, 1989, the authorities barricaded the streets leading to the church, hoping that it would put people off, but it had the opposite effect. The congregation grew, and the prayer meetings led to a number of peaceful protests in Leipzig and other cities, and they became known as the Monday demonstrations. You can look that up. As the scale of the gatherings grew, Pastor Fuhrer and his followers were threatened. They were pressured to stop meeting, and nonetheless, they remained resolute. The official reaction in the Sig pastor included beatings, arrests of demonstrators at protest rallies in Leipzig, Berlin, and Dresden. Do you imagine leaving one of our prayer meetings and getting beat up? It's not pleasant, is it? Things came to a head on October 7, 1989. It was the 40th anniversary of... Um, the founding of the German Democratic Republic. So people cried it in front of the St. Nicholas Church and the authorities wanted to close the church. The police used brute force against the demonstrators and many were beaten and hundreds arrested. That was October 7, two days later, on October 9th, ignoring death threats and the dreadful presence of huge lines of armed police, 
Thousands gathered to gather for prayer. Do you want to put that up, Brian? The congregation joined an estimated 70,000. Isn't that amazing? Um, of people, they protest against the regime. Now, this is scary stuff, you know, but you, 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 get, you get a boldness and a confidence when you stand with others, don't you? That's, what, that's why a prayer meeting's so good. Whenever you're, you're at a prayer meeting, you're of one accord. And so they, they got a confidence, and 70,000 of them um, marched against the regime. And it was the largest impromptu demonstration ever witnessed in East Germany. There was never anything like it in their lives. These people were starting to to just rise up and say, we're not having this anymore. So this particular meeting, it started with an hour-long service at St. Nicholas Church. Pastor Fuhrer then led the worshippers outside, and a huge crowd of demonstrators holding lit candles began to walk around the city, how amazing, chanting, we are the people and no violence. The authorities did not attack the crowd. The authorities didn't. Like normally before, I mean, we've seen, you've seen, like, I'm sure pictures of Tiananmen, Tiananmen Square, Square in China, where they were just beating the, the protesters all over the place. And they had been doing that in East Germany. But this time, they didn't do it. They let them go ahead. So this experience inspired Monday demonstrations. So just because they stood up, all around um, East Germany the following weeks, more and more Christians and started to come out onto the streets and have demonstrations on the Monday. Then after that, um, the East German communist leader, Eric Honecker, he resigned, and the dissidents became increasingly heartened. So they were excited because he was a president. He was a very cruel man, and uh, they got rid of him. So they were, they were really thought, things are starting to move here. They got so excited. So with 300,000 taking part in a protest on October the 23rd, on the 23rd of October, 300,000 people came out into the streets because they, they gained a confidence and they gained a boldness um, which they could only get from each other. And if you've ever been, who's ever been in a march? Um, we did the we did the Right to Life march um, last year, and it was amazing. See when you're standing shoulder to shoulder with people, there's it's just there's nothing like it in the world, honestly. So exactly a month after the events in October the 9th, in November the 9th, 1989, the Berlin Wall came down. You got that picture? There it is. It was. Uh, you know, there were scenes of jubilation, families were reunited, and just amazing. Light meeting dark, light beating dark, can I say? Darkness fell that day. Um, so that was the year. So that began the, the that began really the downfall of the the Cold War because two years later the Soviet Union um, they um, they dissolved and disbanded, and out of that came 15 countries. So that was just for, that was just from prayer. Um, Germany became a united country on October the 3rd, 1990. So Pastor Fuhrer, he, um, he went on to glory in 2014. He was totally convinced that the Berlin Wall would not have collapsed without the events in Leipzig, which started with people meeting to pray. In those prayer meetings, people believed in the power of prayer. So he was asked, he was asked this question. Do you believe that the, D D the GDR would have collapsed without the events in Leipzig? And he said, I don't believe so. Things were happening in Leipzig that weren't happening anywhere else. The regular priest prayers that had been taking place every week for many years and a large community of people had emerged on it to change the country. This came from a prayer meeting. How can, how can people say, I don't want to go to a prayer meeting? So that was the power of prayer for them, the power of patience and the power of persistence. Now that took seven years. 
from they began but began their prayer meeting until the Berlin Wall fell down. And I think they're still having those prayer meetings, the, the Monday prayer meetings. And it's interesting, seven years for them and seven days for Jericho, amen. So uh, last week, Pastor Hillary at, at our prayer meeting for souls, she, uh, she shared a prophetic word. I wrote some of it down. And, and the Lord says, expect me every time. If you can believe, all things are possible. The onus is on us to believe. He is there. He is willing to do. Expect him to move every time and don't limit him. Amen. And that's what happens when we come to pray. On the night of November 9th, 1989, you know, the, the East German um, authorities, they just give the order to open the gates, let people in and take the wall down. That was sudden, as suddenly as the wall went up in 1961, 28 years later, the wall had come down. And that is the power of people meeting to pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to share a video. Um, if the worship team want to make their way up, is that okay, Chris? Uh, but if you sort of stand over there, I want to finish with a video, and I want to um, I want to encourage you. If you've never been to a prayer meeting, see if you even come to a prayer meeting. I've said it before, and you say Amen. It's better coming and saying Amen than not coming and saying nothing. Because when you're saying Amen, you're coming into agreement. You're saying Let it be so. Um, it is the best hour, and I just I just can't encourage you enough. You know, God will always speak to your heart about something. I can't tell you the number of times I've left a prayer meeting and thought, oh, I wish I'd have said that, and I didn't. Or God tells you to say something, and you don't, and someone else gets up and do it. If, he, if you won't let God use you, he will use someone else. Isn't that right? So I want to end with this video. Um, and um, I, I, this is amazing. This is John Hagee. Um, I just want to bless you. And let us stir you even in your own personal prayer life. You know, get excited about, you know, whenever you go on into your closet and shut your door, the things that, the things that you can change in your life and in your circumstances, um, because with God all things are possible, amen. So don't limit God. Um, our prayer meeting is here, 6.45 on Tuesday. Um, you're all so welcome to come. We'll just put that on, Ryan. is as close as your next prayer. Prayer is the weapon that God has given his children to wage war in the heavenlies. Church of Jesus Christ, stop whining about the attacks on your life by the prince of darkness and put on the whole armor of God in Ephesians 6. Attack, attack, and then attack again, and then attack again, and crush him and drive him out of your life. If it seems to be hopeless, pray, 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 because God answers prayer. Moses prayed and the sun was arrested in its courses by the hand of God as Joshua crushed the enemies of Israel. Elijah prayed and forked tongues of fire laced across the heavens and consumed the sacrifice soaked with 12 barrels of water. Hezekiah prayed, and I'm talking about Old Testament prayer right now. Hezekiah prayed and 185,000 Assyrians that surrounded Jerusalem promising to slaughter every Jew in the sacred city the next morning. Hezekiah rolled out the letter that General Sennacherib had sent to him, mocking his God and mocking the people of Israel. He pulled out his secret weapon, prayer. He laid that letter before the Lord and said, God, your honor is at stake. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Your word said, he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleep. 
And that night, the death angel from heaven came and swept through the camp of the Assyrians. He smote the sentry standing at his post. He smote the infantry slumbering in their tents. He smote the generals as they made their battle plans to destroy the sacred city. The next morning when Hezekiah looked over the sacred walls of the city of Jerusalem by the dawn's early light, he saw 185,000 dead men because the angel of God passed by that night. Why? Because one man knew how to pray. He stopped an army and turned the destiny of a nation around. And you can too. Because Satan is a defeated foe. Christ has given you the keys of death, hell, and the grave. You are a child of God. And the royal blood of heaven is flowing in your veins. You are destined to be more than a conqueror through Christ. Think like it. Act like it. And talk like it every day of your life. And believe. And believe that God can do the impossible. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. If you want power with God, learn to pray. If you don't know how to pray, you will never be successful. I have preached the gospel of Jesus Christ for 44 years. I have preached in football stadiums packed with 75 to 80,000 people. I have preached in the beautiful cathedrals of Rome. I have preached in the mud huts of third world nations. I have preached to millions of people around the world by radio and television. Why did it happen? It happened because my mother went to war with the devil for my soul in her prayer room and the devil lost she prayed me out of the fires of hell and into the gates of heaven prayer works try it Thank you for joining us. We look to God that He will direct your steps in blessings through this week. For more information, visit us at bangercommunitychurch.co.uk or find us on Facebook.